Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl, coming to you from Hanoi, Vietnam. And I am ABC News Political Director Rick Klein here in Washington, D.C., where there's another big story going on involving Michael Cohen on Capitol Hill. And I've got to tell you, Rick, the White House team is genuinely hopping mad about the Cohen situation. They are uh, infuriated with Michael Cohen, of course, reflecting the president. Uh, They are also uh, furious, frankly, with us, with the, the, quote, news media for paying so much attention to Michael Cohen at a time when uh, they say the president is out trying to resolve one of the most important national security uh, crises, uh, challenges the world faces. And, you know, we're here talking about uh, somebody who is an admitted liar and, and felon. Well, they may have points on that, but there's a lot of important points that Michael Cohen is making as well, John. As you know, we now have at this hour his prepared testimony, what he is going to tell uh, members of the House Oversight Committee through what we expect to be a long and contentious day of testimony, some explosive allegations in all of that. Uh, But uh, the split screen is going to play out with the president in Vietnam trying to find what phase two looks like. And I've been struck, John, in the early going how the president seems to be downplaying expectations, even as now I think there's going to be a, a, a greater expectation that something big comes out of this, if 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 just to distract, if nothing else. I, I, I think, first of all, just to set the stage here a little bit for you, set the scene, we uh, are here, the president is now dining as you and I speak, Rick, with Kim Jong-un, one of, by the way, I am told, haven't been there myself, but I'm told one of the finest restaurants in Hanoi at the Metropole Hotel, fine old colonial hotel, uh, that the president is there. It's a very small group on the president's side. It's just the president, uh, the secretary of state, Mike Pompeo, uh, and Mick Mulvaney, the acting chief of staff, and the translators. That's it on the American side. Similarly, small group uh, on, on, the, uh, on the side with Kim Jong-un. It is, it is wild. We, we, you know, we're going to talk more about Cohen coming up. I am also told that even though it is very late over here and uh, that Cohen's testimony will probably start at about the time they're having the dessert course over there uh, at, at the Metropole Hotel, um, that the president will almost certainly be watching the Michael Cohen testimony. It goes into the night here in in, in Vietnam. He's going to miss the top, perhaps, because he's still with Kim Jong-un, but you can bet that he is going to check in on what his former lawyer is saying. In terms of the issue you raise, the lowering of expectations, it's been explicit. It's been absolutely explicit. The president um, has said uh, that as long as Kim Jong-un, as long as North Korea is no longer testing its nuclear weapons and its long-range missiles, he's fine. He's going to be patient. He's in no rush to see them uh, do away with their nuclear program. That is a 180 from the U.S. side, but he has a point. I mean, we, Rick, you know where we were uh, before this process started, before the first summit. It felt like the world might have been on the on, on the brink of a, of a nuclear showdown between the United States and North Korea. That, right now, anyway, is no longer the case. 
Also no longer the case are the, the bold assertions from the president that North Korea is no longer a nuclear threat. That's what he said right after the first summit. Clearly, that's not the case. Mike Pompeo, among others, has made clear that they don't view that to be the case right now. And it's this. it feels to me like he's not going to get the same kind of slack that he did the first time. Uh, it, it was just it was a unique moment. It was the first ever meeting like this. And uh, a lot of people were just kind of taken by the visuals of it. It's no longer about visuals. It has to be at some point about actual deliverables. And you have to think, John, the White House knows that, that you can't just keep having these meetings and keep kicking the ball down, the kicking the can down the road. You have to actually find a framework that says this is how we get to denuclearization. It's not just about tweets at this point or about handshakes and photo ops. It has to be something real, no? Well, in fact, uh, to give you an idea of how little in terms of that has happened, actual denuclearization, the North Koreans have not even given an accounting of their nuclear program. That has been considered step one. How many nuclear bombs have they already built? What is their uh, uranium enrichment program? Where are the facilities? What's the plutonium processing uh, program? Where are the facilities? How, you know, what, what exactly are they producing? How much fuel have they produced? All those basic questions, none of them have been answered, Rick. So yes, there, there, there is a lot in terms of the specifics. What is North Korea going to be doing beyond words of a denuclearized Korean peninsula? What are they prepared to do? What are those concrete steps? John, give us a sense of the atmospherics over there, because I've been seeing a lot of uh, a lot of tweets about the White House press corps being shuttled around and shut out of things. It, it seems like it's a very strange set of circumstances where you have literal red carpets rolled out for these two world leaders and uh, a lot of kind of edgy security arrangements and people that are worried about access to certain things. What's it what's it been like on the ground the last couple of days? Rick, it has been quite a scene, let me tell you. First of all, I am actually staying at Kim Jong un's hotel. Okay? This is this is a this is this is a very strange situation. We had no idea this was going to happen. Uh, but but you've seen some of the reports. I can tell you one hundred percent true. The White House press corps uh, is set up at a place called the Malia, very nice hotel in, in, in downtown Hanoi. What it's like, the, we, what we do is we set up, uh, a, you know, and this is a process that takes a couple of weeks to pull together. Um, there are uh, phone lines and 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 and, and desk space and a, and a place for briefing, a podium, a big room set up to to handle over a hundred White House press. Uh, we have setups for all of the television networks on the roof. All of this, you know, major at huge expense, uh, a big setup. It's basically the, the the White House press corps takes up stakes from from the South Lawn, uh, from sorry, from the North Lawn, from the White House briefing room, and replicates it here in Vietnam. Well, we got word just hours before Kim Jong Un arrived that he was coming to the same hotel, and we're told, "Sorry, you guys got to leave." <laughs> I mean, they just never. I mean, like I said, weeks in the planning. So uh, they, they they set up. They 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 we we pulled up stakes. I mean, it was insane. But now the White House press filing center is set up at a different location in in Hanoi. But I am still staying at the hotel. I still have my room. I'm still staying at Kim Jong Un's hotel, and it is the strangest scene. You walk into the lobby. 
first of all, there, there, there's a security perimeter you have to, you know, that, that extends out a block from the hotel. But when you get into the lobby, you see all of the North Korean goons, you know, their earpieces. Uh, they, they've got these pins that have a, a, a photo of uh, an image of Kim Jong-un and his grandfather, uh, the founder of, of, of the DPRK. And uh, the, the top five floors of the hotel, of the, of the Malia Hotel, are set aside for the North Korean delegation. They, they have taken the full floors of this very large hotel. And what the hotel workers have told me, I, I mean, they're all like amazed by what's happening, um, is that it is like a hermit kingdom on the top of the hotel. They have brought in the North Koreans all of their own food, their own cooks, their own... It's all self-contained. But I have to tell you that there was a moment where I found myself in an elevator with what I believe was Kim Jong-un's sister. But anyway, it's, it's a strange experience. <laughs> oh strange goodness. experience here. I, I, hope, I hope you get a chance to sample that cuisine, if, if nothing else. I am curious what they end up eating eating for dinner. As, as you said, they're having that dinner. I, I want to play this, John. You heard this a few moments ago on the ground in, in Hanoi. Uh, Donald Trump standing, uh, sitting side by side with Kim Jong-un for, the second, uh, for their second meeting. Uh, and the president uh, talking a little bit about what's to come. It's great to be with you. We had a very successful first summit. I felt it was very successful. And some people would like to see it go quicker. I'm satisfied. You're satisfied. We want to be happy with what we're doing. But I thought the first summit was a great success. And I think this one hopefully will be equal or greater than the first. And we made a lot of progress. And I think the biggest progress was our relationship is really a good one. So lots of kind words about the relationship, but equal or greater is is hardly optimistic in Trump speak about what could be um, could, could be coming from this. Do you get a sense that the White House is viewing the stakes as higher given what's going on right now with Michael Cohen and with the expected release of the Mueller report in the coming days? There, there, there's no question that the president is looking for a big moment on the world stage so that he can say, look at these people. Look at look at look at my critics. They're talking about this. You know, sleazy lawyer Michael Cohen. They're talking about Russia, Russia, Russia. This this investigation. There was no collusion. When I am on the world stage, accomplishing something that Barack Obama couldn't do, that George W. Bush couldn't do, that Bill Clinton couldn't do. I'm talking face to face with the North Koreans, and I'm going to resolve uh, this nuclear crisis. Now, of course, we are a long, long way from resolving that crisis, but the president wants to see that juxtaposition, and we learned. That we also learned, uh, Rick, that the president, at least he told us, will be holding a press conference tomorrow once his meetings with Kim Jong Un are over. So I think the White House sees, regardless of what happens here, and they and again, and again I am struck by how much is up in the air. I've spoken to the president's top advisors just before the opening handshake, asking what is going to come out of this and they genuinely don't know they genuinely don't know if they'll get anything by way of actual deliverables from the north koreans in terms of steps towards denuclearizations but what the president wants is regardless of what comes out of this summit is to be able to project this image of he's here dealing with a pressing intractable national security world security problem and his carping critics are talking about trivial matters. That's 
what the president that's the image that that's what he's going to want to project at that press conference tomorrow and that news conference is going to come after the overnight hours in hanoi when michael cohen is expected to deliver an opening statement and answer questions for hours and hours before the house a lot of interesting questions will be posed to the president uh he's already going out and calling michael cohen his longtime lawyer and fixer a liar Uh, But Michael Cohen is prepared for that battle. So, John, what do you say we take a quick break and come and talk about that other big story, the one going back on back here in Washington in the coming hours around Michael Cohen? So you just woke up. Your phone is lighting up with headlines and push notifications and a text from your mom saying, how do I click this? Okay, maybe that's just me. But if you want to get up to speed, check out the new podcast from ABC News. Start here. Literally, the ground was shaking. I'm Brad Milkey, and every morning, we're going to take you to the stories that matter with fast, fresh insight. Hello, Robert Mueller. Michael Cohen calling. All in 20 minutes. Start here. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. All right, welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. Rick, uh, the, the split screen moment here. The president with the dictator of North Korea on the world stage and you there in Washington with the Michael Cohen show on Capitol Hill. Unbelievable moment. I think I see, I think I sense which one of those, uh, which side of the screen is getting more attention. I think it's the one happening where you are. It feels like it right now. And, and, and we, are, we have a copy, ABC News has obtained, along with other news organizations, a copy of the opening statement Michael Cohen plans to make before the House Oversight Committee. We're expecting a very long day of testimony. But, but John, listen to a little bit of what Michael Cohen uh, is going to say about President Trump. Quote, he is a racist. He is a con man. He is a cheat. He was a presidential candidate who knew that Roger Stone was talking with Julian Assange about a WikiLeaks drop of Democratic National Committee emails. John, there is a lot here, and it ranges from uh, the, 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 the very trivial, like his efforts to uh, make sure that, uh, that, that schools that Mr. Trump had attended never released his SAT scores or his college transcripts or shill bidding around, uh, around portraits that, uh, that, that, that were up for auction of, of Mr. Trump, and the very big, uh, including this, this purported knowledge about the WikiLeaks hack around the DNC email releases, uh, reimbursements around Stormy Daniels, and even a, a suggestion that, um, that, uh, that, that President Trump knew about the Trump Tower meeting. Uh, that uh, that he has long denied knowing anything about. There is so much to get through here that I, I, I'm curious how it's going to change perceptions of President Trump, as we all are. But, but you shouldn't, I don't think anyone should lose sight of how big it is to have Michael Cohen, of all people, the ultimate loyalist who's now turned on the president, coming out and making these stark accusations, bringing some documents as well. And a couple of facts about Michael Cohen. First of all, he is somebody who has admitted that he is that he has committed crimes that he has committed felonies he is somebody who is an admitted liar that he has admitted lying to congress and now he is telling this story to congress saying that this time he is telling the truth he is also somebody who was as you well know and i know you have you had a lot of interactions with michael cohen over the years when he was the fixer he was the ultimate Trump loyalist, the one who suggested he'd take a bullet for the president. He would do anything for the president. He would berate and beat up reporters who, who criticized the president. He was a bully. He was, he was the president's pit bull. The other thing about Michael Cohen is, as you know, because you went, you, you saw him, you saw his office. He, he, had, he, had, the, he had an office on the 26th floor of, 
of Trump Tower just steps away from Donald Trump's office. So he wasn't some, you know, guy out in the periphery. He was right there. And he was there for a solid 10 years. He wasn't the president's only lawyer. Some people would say he wasn't the president. Or then real estate developer Donald Trump's only lawyer. Maybe he wasn't even his most important lawyer, but he was right there. But the big question is the one of credibility. I mean, do you believe him now? Uh, do you do you believe or even the president suggested he's lying to, you know, try to redeem himself, get a better get 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 a better deal on his sentence? This is a guy that's about to go to jail for lying, in part for lying. It, and those are very valid points. And you're right. I mean, you and I both have long histories with Michael Cohen. I first interviewed him I think back in 2011 when when Donald Trump was thinking about running for president the first time. He memorably was calling him the godfather of politics back then. It's all sorts of uh, questions around Omerta and, uh, and, uh, and, and other godfathers kind of went through my mind around that. And especially now to see him uh, turn on on President Trump. And he definitely has uh, credibility issues, to say the least. Uh, but he also has something else. And I think a couple of things going for him. One is that his assertions about uh, President Trump's knowledge around the Stormy Daniels payoff have been proven out to be true. And the president has been proven to be a liar about that, I think we can fairly say. He said he had no knowledge of it, that it was a private transaction from, from uh, involving Michael Cohen alone. Rudy Giuliani then would, would later would come out and say that, no, this was intended uh, to, to, to be what it looked like it was going to be, to, to try to keep the, the Stormy Daniels quiet around it. And now he brings documents. He brings checks, two checks that he's delivering to Congress today, one signed by Donald Trump himself as president of the United States, the other by Donald Trump Jr., both for $35,000, he says are part of the the repayment plan that, uh, that that was devised around this, which actually would possibly suggest the, or point toward the biggest legal violation, or the biggest legal jeopardy here, which is around a campaign finance violation. All of that is is sort of small, though, compared to the Russia stuff and the suggestion that the president knew about the Trump Tower meeting that uh, that, that Don Jr. held with folks uh, that that said they had Russians who said they had dirt on Hillary Clinton, and that he pursued the Trump Tower Moscow deal all the way through the campaign. That gets us toward the C-word, toward collusion after all of this time. And and he, the extent that, uh, that some of these things are conjecture on Michael Cohen's part, they will be probed and prodded by members of Congress today to the, suggest, to the extent, though, that he can prove any of this with other documents, with audio tapes, which you know that he's made at least on one occasion. Uh, this is still a major problem for President Trump. And one of the memorable lines in the prepared testimony is he says, individual one was Donald Trump. I mean, we knew that, but just to, just to make no mistake, that was who individual one is. We know the president lied about the Stormy Daniels payments. We we, we know that, but we also, I, I think we need to take a take a deep breath here. This is a huge moment. This is going to be, you know, this is this is this is box office. Uh, I mean, as we talk, the president's going to be going to be watching this thing. And when he responds, it's going to be even more, uh, uh, you know, high stakes moment. But 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 let's just let's just take a take a take a look at what's actually said here. The checks. You mentioned the checks, which is one of the things that's really gotten the attention. Oh, my God. Here are the checks. One signed by Donald Trump that shows that he was. Well, Rick, we knew that the president was making the payments to uh, Michael Cohen while he was in the White House. He disclosed that. 
100%. Now, he said, and can, I think will continue to say, that those payments were a retainer for Michael Cohen. They weren't reimbursements for the story. Whatever. I mean, that... that but, but the point is, the checks themselves don't give us actually any new information because we knew that the president was making these payments to Michael Cohen once he got into the White House. The dispute is, were they reimbursements or were they... Um, you know, or, or or was it as the president insists a, a a retainer? I mean that, but but that that is not new information. And the the other thing is the 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 stuff is allegations uh, regarding the Russians will be very interesting to see. He says he has you know suspicions that the president himself knew about the Trump Tower meeting with Don Jr. and Paul Manafort and the Russian lawyer and all of that. Uh, but how does he know? He says he just you know he he saw the. Uh, you know, Don Jr. come into his office and whisper into his father's, you know, uh, ear about about the meeting. But but what meeting? No details. He didn't overhear any actual details. It's conjecture on his part. And the other thing that I actually thought was significant in this, which hasn't gotten much attention, which is Michael Cohen definitively seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, Rick, shoots down the discredited BuzzFeed story, which as I think of this time buzzfeed is still standing by that that the president instructed michael cohen to lie to congress yeah remember the buzzfeed story? i think you recall that story well he says that that's not the way donald trump works it was his understanding that that's what the president wanted him to do he was doing it to protect the president but donald trump never directly told michael cohen that you should lie to Congress about the Trump Tower Moscow project. And I, I think that is a significant... That's in Michael Cohen's own yeah, words. Significant concession for Michael Cohen that that's not the way it works, and it's left to people's imagination to uh, to understand what Trump speak means in this context. I do think, though, John, we, we can't lose sight of what's out there. Just because it's new or not new doesn't mean it's not significant. I mean, to have that check as now standing as a, as a piece of potential evidence around a payoff... That again, this happened in, right before the campaign ended, right before the election, in an effort to make sure the public would not learn about this allegation. An allegation the president still, whatever his credibility might be on this, actually denies. Uh, Michael Cohen says he was told to lie to the first lady about that uh, about the allegation as well. All of that, uh, a lot of this has been out there and been played out and conceded on different points. The president's has shifted his explanation on it. So just though it's not new today doesn't mean it's not a very big deal to allege about the president of the United States. Oh, no, I, I, and, and, and you don't, I mean, I'm, I'm not suggesting it's not a big deal, but I'm just saying that this is, you know, that there was some there was some pregame hype before the uh, before the testimony that he was going to present evidence that the president committed crimes while he was in the White House. Well, but the, 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 there is no new evidence here of that. All we see is the physical check of a payment that the president has already acknowledged that he made. Again, the dispute over what it was about. But Rick, I want to be absolutely clear about something here. You mentioned the issue of the SAT scores. (laughs) I do not want my SAT scores released, and I sure as hell don't want anybody to compare my SAT scores to yours. That's good for that, that's actually good on you. Mine are available on the public record. Anyone who asks, I'm happy to advertise <laughs> them. They're 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 out there. I am a, I'm an open book on that front. Uh, but uh, but you talk about talking you know, kind of the, the the dirty politics that gets played around all of this. We have to talk, John, about something that one of the president's fiercest loyalists in Congress, uh, Congressman Matt Gates from Florida. 
uh, said uh, on the eve of this testimony. He put out a tweet that got everyone talking, uh, even talk about an ethics investigation afterward, where he suggested very strongly that, uh, that, that Michael Cohen was engaged in extramarital affairs and that his wife might not be faithful to him once he is on the inside of a prison. Now, Gates has walked it back a little bit, apologized. He's actually not even part of the questioning today, but here's what he said about, uh, about what he was trying to do when, when confronted by, by this about, uh, confronted by reporters about this. Uh, last night. He said there's some difference between witness testing and witness tampering. We're witness testing, not witness tampering. And when witnesses come before Congress, their truthfulness and veracity are in question, and we have the opportunity to test them. Wow. I mean, I I was blown away by this whole episode. Uh, It seemed very... Michael Cohen-esque, maybe the thing that Michael Cohen would have been doing on behalf of the president if he hadn't turned on him. This was the sort of uh, vague threats or maybe not so vague threats that uh, Michael Cohen purports to have done at Donald Trump's behest in the past. It does suggest the the the, the game that is going to get played around Michael Cohen in the coming hours. And he has even said he's worried about his own safety, the safety of his family. Uh, President Trump himself has uh, suggested that prosecutors should be looking about business arrangements involving fam- members of his family. This is going to get extremely ugly b- between the president and, and his large team of loyalists and Michael Cohen. Look, Rick, you and I have covered a lot of rough and tumble politics. We, we, we've seen some, some you know, tough tactics, harsh attacks, all of that. This stuff from Congressman Gates is not politics. This is thuggish behavior, potentially criminal behavior, and the kind of thing that can get somebody, uh, if not admonished, by the, uh, I mean, certainly admonished by by an ethics committee, uh, congressional ethics committee, potentially even expelled from Congress. That's why this guy, who is you know one of the president's ultimate uh, pit bulls, actually apologized. I don't know if I've ever heard. I haven't heard actually. I have you of, of Congressman Gates apologizing for anything. He apologized because he went over the line, way over the line. But, you know, it's also interesting that the president himself has been essentially threatening Michael Cohen through his Twitter feed. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe not in exactly the, the the same way that Gates did, but not qualitatively different, I don't believe. No, I, I think I, I think that's right. I'm curious, John, and we're going to hear this all play out in the coming hours, and, and we've talked about this split screen, where this is going to rank in the big moments. A lot of people have been making comparisons to John Dean. And I think there, there, there are a lot of flaws in that uh, comparison. For one, one major one is that John Dean um, was the White House counsel um, and had knowledge, uh, direct knowledge of things that were going on that Michael Cohen, as you mentioned, doesn't seem to have. But the idea of uh, a loyalist, who a lawyer who has the, the guardian of all the secrets uh, going out publicly, where does where where do you see the analogies in this, and and where does it go from here after Cohen Day? First of all, I want to do a quick flashback if I can ask Trevor if he's got the sound to, to put in here. You remember not long after Michael Cohen's home and office were raided. This was something that really shook. You could tell shook the president, um, and it was clear Michael Cohen was facing severe legal jeopardy. I asked the president or attempted to ask the president if he would consider a pardon for Michael Cohen. This is before the breakdown of their relationship, but 
as it was clear that Cohen was going to be facing severe legal jeopardy. Here is that exchange. Mr. President, what about Michael Cohen? Are, are, are you considering a pardon for Michael much. Cohen? No? Stupid question. But in terms of, of where this ranks and what it leads to, you're right. There are significant and important differences between this and the John Dean testimony. In some ways, uh, it is more interesting because Michael Cohen is somebody who had a longer deeper personal relationship with Donald Trump than John Deed had with Richard Nixon. But John Dean, as you point out, was the White House counsel. He was talking with direct knowledge about uh, the, the specifics of the White House, of, of the Watergate cover-up. Uh, much more important direct testimony. I, I think that history, I mean, we'll see where my, we go with Michael Cohen, but I'm not sure this one's going to quite rise to that level of significance. Uh, the, the other question is, what does this do to you know, the, I think that, well, let me, let me put it this way. Let me steal the formulation that, 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 that our friend Dan Abrams uh, uh, put on this, which is you have to look at the Michael Cohen testimony and break it down to two categories where he's alleging illegal activity. Is he presenting any actual evidence of the president breaking the law. That's one category. The other is stuff that is embarrassing, deeply, personally embarrassing. There's a heck of a lot of that. The allegations of his uh, racist comments, the SAT stuff, uh, all of that. The question is, when he gets to the stuff that is potentially law-breaking, does he actually have the evidence? And I, I don't think we know the answer to that yet, and I'm not sure that, that we've seen that yet. Yeah, I, I think I think that is a that those are major questions that that loom over all of this. And I, look, this is I, I don't know that it's capable. We're capable of having a John Dean type moment because of the way this story has played out in real time in a drip drip fashion over so many months and months. And there's so much else to come, including the the impending release we expect in the coming days or weeks of the Mueller report. But uh, we will all, I think, circle this day on our calendars, uh, looking back over a long period of time. This is a day where um, the president may be aiming for Mount Rushmore with what's going on in North Korea. But uh, there's a whole lot that could have this presidency collapse in a pile of rubble. Uh, If Michael Cohen uh, is able to prove what he is saying and if this shifts in any way, the perceptions around a presidency that has gone through so much turmoil, so much of it self-inflicted. Rick, just just a personal point here. Uh, as somebody who lived basically in the in in the shadow of Mount Rushmore as a kid, there is no there's not enough granite up there for another head. Okay? Oh, okay. Just All just right. Never just, mind. just Never so mind. you're clear. Yeah. Good, good okay. I mean, I mean, otherwise, I I'm sure they'd be. But I mean, we we went through this. There was talk of putting Reagan up there. I I've been up there. I've surveyed it. We we really. There's not enough room for another for another head up there. So just just I I don't want our you know. Our, our, our listeners to, to, to think that, you know, that they're going to start putting Donald Trump up there. But look, this is, I agree with you, circle this day, uh, significant day in the, in, in, in the, the Trump era, an amazing split screen moment, uh, seeing it play out while we're seeing a president of the United States sitting down with a Korean dictator who he is now calling my friend. Uh, in, in, incredible bizarre, unpredictable, uh, something none of us could have foreseen. But Rick, I got to get back to the, uh, to, to the summit. So I think dinner is, is, is getting close to wrapping up. 
Um, that is all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics. Uh, coming to you from Hanoi, thank you to the entire Powerhouse Politics team, Trevor Hastings, Avery Miller, Angie Yak, and even Rick Klein. We'll get to you next week.